You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye while you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this particular text can be a a hard word. Um, I think in the moment many of us can feel the, the weight of this exhortation from Jesus because we're hypercritical of other people often. We're hypercritical of the world around us often. While ignoring the inconsistencies in our own lives. We care too much about the sin of others while we care far too little about the sin in our own life. And so, Father, this morning as we approach your word, as we hear from your word, may you convict us of our sin. Follow that with comforting us with the forgiveness found in the grace of Jesus. And then commission us to go forth and be lights in this dark world. And Father, as I proclaim your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so over the past few weeks, we've been walking through a sermon series together called One Another. I'm looking at different ways in which we're called to love one another. This, is, this phrase, to love one another, is Jesus's, like, his mark of what a healthy church looks like, that we love one another. And so the question we've been answering is, okay, that sounds great, but how do we love one another? What does that look like in our daily life? Well, so far, Jared has walked through four of these realities. First, he exhorted us to stop mind-reading other people, Stop telling a story about what we think other people are thinking and, and doing, what their motivations are. And then we talked about how our family of origin affects all of our lives. And then we talked about how we cannot neglect our heart and our emotions in the midst of our relationships. And last week he shared powerfully how listening is so close to being loved or being listened to is so close to being loved that we often cannot distinguish the difference between those two. And this week we want to look at how integrity plays a part in our lives and our relationships. We want to see how our actions match our stated values. So if the call to stop mind reading in week one was to tell the truth about others, stop telling lies about others, believing lies about others, um, stop mind reading is tell the truth about others, then integrity is to begin to tell the truth about yourself and about your real values. A lack of integrity, the opposite of integrity, a lack of integrity is like a a recent package of Oreos I bought. Double stuffed Oreos, the best in the world, right? I opened the package and what did I find? Regular diet Oreos. You want to talk about something on the outside not matching what's on the end, inside, and how that hurt me as a person. Lack of integrity is a hurtful thing. Uh, Now, in an article in Inc. magazine uh, recently, they talked about the top 20 
words that uh, organizations use as their like core values that they need to stop using. These are words or cliches that get used over and over and over again. And the number one word that gets used in, in companies' stated values is integrity. And they say most of these things, the full list of the 20, most of these things are things that everyone agrees on. There aren't many companies out there that are really passionate about core values like the lack of integrity. Integrity is assumed. And yet, actually, it seems to be uncommon in our society today, right? Now, what's interesting is actually, uh, as we started 2023, our staff and pastors have kind of come together and we're talking about like, what's our core values as a staff? Not just not as a church, but just as a staff, as co-workers together, what are our core values. And so we were supposed to all come to a meeting and write down our top five words or, or phrases that are core values to us about our work environment. And the number one response that got repeated over and over was integrity. Now, I believe there's a distinction and definition that's often used by a company and what we mean by integrity, because we don't simply mean honesty. I think when a lot of companies say integrity, they just mean honesty. And what we mean by integrity is that we're identifying this core value of being whole people, whole persons. Sure, we're going to be honest people. We're going to be an honest organization, but we want to be more than that. We want to not just be not liars. We want to be whole people. You see, this word integrity comes from a word that means integer, which is a unit of one. In our society, we are so often compartmentalized in our life of I'm able to be this type of person in this environment at work or this type of person with my friends, this type of person with my family, this type of person with my extended family. Like we have different types of parts of ourself that we actually kind of cut off when we're in the presence of someone else. Watching sports with the bros, you can't share about your hurts and your feelings, right? Do you experience this at work? Like at work, are you able to be your whole self there? Or is it, hey man, just sit down, shut up and do your work. Just be a diligent employee. Our staff and our pastors want to be whole people. We say often that we care more about you than what you do for us. That's true for you as members, as volunteers. We care more about you as a person than what you do for us. And that's the same for our pastors and our staff. And I hope that that you would believe that about us too, that you care more about us as people than what we do for you. This morning, we're gonna look at a couple different passages as we explore what it means to be a person of integrity or have integrity in your relationships specifically. This is all kind of built on a, a quote from Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, where he says, Christian spirituality without an integration of emotional health can be deadly. To yourself, your relationships with your relationship with God and the people around you. And so this morning we're going to ask the question: what does an integration of emotional health look like in our relationships? What does integrity look like in a society that is so plagued with scandal? Integrity is when what's important to you on the inside is what you live on the outside. Not that you're living up to some expectation of being perfect in that. Hypocrisy is not that you didn't attain perfection, but rather you're just not living within the values that you have stated. Some experts say that an inability to express ourselves honestly to the people around us is what could be leading to our depression and severe anxiety epidemic in our society. 
We have these thoughts and these feelings down deep. We have values, but at times we suppress them because we fear people. Who can we trust with this information that would not abandon us? This is what schizero means when he says that living without an integration of emotional health can be deadly because if you try to hold that in, it's deadly to your emotional health. You see, a sermon on integrity is largely a sermon on fear. A fear of showing our real heart, fear of admitting our hidden selves, fear of rejection. So this morning, I'm going to occasionally use these words interchangeably, integrity and integration, and actually kind of laugh a little bit at the fact that I was assigned this uh, week in our sermon series, because when I first started hearing about words like integration and differentiation and all these different nice, big, fancy psychological words, um, I was in Kansas City. I believe Adam Breckenridge was still there, and we were talking about this as a church, and I was nodding along like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. When inside, I was like, I have no clue what they're talking about. But I can't admit that because then they'll look at me like I'm an idiot. So I'll make it hopefully plain to you. Being integrated is simply living your life with integrity in your relationships. Integration means you are one person. And so I sometimes we'll use the phrase disintegrated or disintegration. And that simply means the opposite of integrated, that you are not living a whole life, but rather a divided life, a separated life, a hidden life where your internal values are not always acted out on in your personal relationships. So before we look at what integration in your relationships actually looks like, let's first look at what disintegration looks like. So again, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. It's on the back half of your Bible there, almost at the end. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We're going to see this. It says, This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. It says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So in this situation, we find Peter. It's one of Jesus's closest disciples, one of his inner ring, three closest friends, and he's acting without integrity. And of of all the disciples for this situation to come um, uh, to to head for, it's interesting that it would be Peter. Because you see, Peter was the first of the disciples to take the gospel to a Gentile when he took, uh, he went and preached the gospel to a Roman centurion and eventually baptized him and his whole household. Peter had this fear of losing the approval of the people around him. Paul says, hey, look, man, that, that situation you had, like God changed you and you saw that you don't have to live by all these rules and regulations of Judaism. And he started living a different life. He started acting that way and living like a Gentile with the Gentiles. It's like you're a changed man. Yet when these people came from Jerusalem, you really began to fear them. You feared losing their approval. You started wearing a mask and you started excluding the Gentile believers. 
And not only that, but his influence was so strong that he caused others to do the same thing. You see, Barnabas was this guy who had gone with Paul on his, some of his missionary journeys early on to specifically non-Jewish cities. So Barnabas loved Gentiles. And so it was cool with him hanging out with Peter there until the Christian, Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem. And he fell in the same trap that Peter did, fearing losing their approval. And so he started acting superior to the Gentile Christians there. And this certainly is not the first time Peter has acted out in fear. I think you know some of his other stories. But you see, a fear of others can have a powerful control over our actions. I saw a a Facebook post by a member of our church recently. And this post said this. It said, the band Nickelback never sucked. You did. I was told we have some Nickelback fans in here, so I'm treading lightly. If you don't know, in the last 20 years or so, Nickelback has garnered widespread success. They've sold millions upon millions upon millions of record albums. They're way more musically talented than you are, than I am, and yet music superiors like myself uh, found myself making fun of them quite a bit. But as I prepared for this sermon, it's funny that timing came up because then it made me think back to the spring of 2000. I was hanging out at my friend Lance's house and we're in his bedroom, probably had just been playing PlayStation. We moved the TV over to MTV and I saw for the very first time a music video by Creed called With Arms Wide Open. And man, I loved it. Coolest music video I'd ever seen. Loved all the lyrics to the song. It was my jam. But then a few years later, I moved on to college and I realized in college through my relationships there, That to like a band like Creed or Nickelback, if that's your fancy, was not cool. It was not acceptable. And so I began to heap hate on something that I genuinely and originally liked as a teenager. And I went so deep that something that I liked as a teenager became something I legitimately can't stand today. If I hear Creed come on the radio, I'm like, next station, please. The lies that I told others as a teenager because a fear of their disapproval became lies I believed myself and I, it influenced the man that I have become. Integration looks like owning what you truly value and not fearing other people's rejection because of your values. Disintegration can look like cowering in fear about your true values and at worst, literally changing what it is you value because of the fear of someone else. David Benner says this about the lies that we believe. He says, the human capacity for self-deception is astounding. This is taught by scripture and confirmed by psychology. Some people are highly skilled at deceiving others. However, their duplicity pales in comparison with the endlessly creative ways in which each and every one of us deceives ourself. Self-deception occurs automatically. We don't really have to choose self-deception. It is the default option. You see, this is what Benner and other authors call our false self. It's how we think about ourselves and how we want others to think about us. Benner says that essentially, after we've rejected being made in the likeness of God, we begin to form an image in our own likeness, the, the person that we would have created if we were God. You see, Peter loved the Gentiles. 
He ate with the Gentiles. He prayed with the Gentiles. He went on mission with the Gentiles. I'm sure if he was in our context next week, he'd be watching the Super Bowl saying, go Chiefs with the Gentiles. Okay? Disintegration, though, is damaging. Because when those believers came from Jerusalem, he completely changed who he was because he feared them more than he loved the Gentiles. Disintegration is damaging and life-altering to yourself and it's unloving to those around you. So last week in his sermon on listening, Jared said that being listened to can feel so much like being loved that we often cannot distinguish between the two. And I suppose that the same is true for integrity. Lying to those around us, lying to ourselves, can feel so much like living that we cannot distinguish the two. Lying is living, and we often don't know who our true self is at times. When I was a teenager, I didn't get in trouble a ton. My, my sister got in trouble all the time, and I learned from her how to not get caught. But just in case I got in trouble, or I just forgot to have my parents sign a permission slip or something, I learned how to forge my dad's signature, and I learned it perfect. You could not tell a difference between the two. So there's my dad's signature on top. His name is Jerry Collier, um, and I learned his signature perfectly. But what you probably can see, especially as you put Collier on top of Collier, is the ways in which me forging his signature, his, me lying about who was signing a document, turned into my own life. The ways in which my forgery turned into my own signature. The ways my lies became my life. And every time I sign my name, there is a slight reminder of how my lies become my life. Our fear of disappointing others can cause us to ignore what we value on the inside and cause us to begin behaving differently on the outside. Disintegration is when we change our behavior because of a fear of man, fear of rejection. Now, there are other ways in which you, uh, this is, a disintegrated life can pop up in your everyday relationships. Uh, one is when, when someone's offended you, have done something to wrong you, and maybe they've even come up to apologize, and your response is just, oh, it's fine, don't worry, buddy, it's all good when it's really not all good. Sometimes it is, but sometimes that's a straight, bold-faced lie, right? You cannot, you don't have the, the, the um, emotional health to tell them, I oh, mean, that actually really hurt. Thank you for apologizing, but that, that did hurt me. Jack Shatama says that we do this because we have a low pain tolerance for other people's pain. Some of us cannot handle making someone else uncomfortable. And so if they come to us and apologize about something, we say, oh no, it's fine. And the reason why it's important to know that that's actually not healthy is that subtly and especially over time begins to build in us like a distrust for that person, a long-term animosity for that person because you've never been able to be honest with them about the ways in which their action or inaction has affected you. And so you begin to not trust them anymore. You begin overworking. You begin overextending yourself because you no longer can trust this person and it's damaged your relationship with them because of a it's fine lie. Another way is when you have an opportunity to share vulnerably in your missional community or DNA. People are sharing and you feel the prompting of the Spirit to share something very vulnerable, but you shut it down and you say, no, I'm all good. Or maybe you share something that's just vulnerable enough that you know you're, you'll be actually accepted for it, but you can't share the deep, dark thing because someone might walk out on you. 
Another situation where disintegration may come into play is if a person comes to you with high stress or intense emotions and you're not able to live in your true self. You might find yourself blood-curdled moments into an interaction with them. You begin to match emotion for emotion, either in a mob mentality, ready to jump on their team and go get someone, or you're murdering someone in their heart with, with them. Or maybe you become a great defender and you begin immediately arguing with this person, fighting back and telling them how they're wrong constantly. You get swept away in a flood of emotions before you realize what happened. The ability to be with others without having our thinking and emotional reacting controlled by that relationship is the skill of differentiation. I'm different than you. Your emotions don't have to be my emotions. You can be with someone while they're high stress without adopting their anxiety. It's the ability to develop your capacity to notice and manage your own reactivity in the presence of intense emotions. You know who you are and you know who you're not. That's differentiation. So I want to ask, like, have you ever found yourself like neck deep in gossip about someone before you even realize what you were doing? Have you found yourself spinning the truth to gain the approval of another person? Have you found yourself treading lightly in a conversation for fear that you might accidentally say a little too much and this person might see the real you? And if you're feeling that, like, let me tell you, you're not alone. We sit in a room full of liars. Every one of us here is a liar. We lie to one another. We lie to ourselves. And it's difficult to not live this lying life because so many of us are carrying these heavy burdens about important matters in your life, and they're just wearing you down. So how could you have the energy to be your true self with someone else? You just want to put up a wall, right? You have these important matters, like how do I care for my loved ones? How do I raise my children? I'm, I'm concerned about my finances. I'm concerned about my health. I'm concerned about dangers in our country today. Anxiety just wears us down so much that we can struggle to live an integrated life even if you want to because we just don't have the energy. So whether we just go with the flow or maybe we rage against it, we don't live in our true self but our false self. And I want to caution you because to ignore your inner true self will lead to your false self taking control and just being somebody who's not you to the world around you. And so if we aim to live an integrated life, a life of integrity where the real you interacts with the world, how do we do that? How do we move from the false self we project to ourselves in the world to our true self? Well, for starters, in our text this morning, we, uh, we read, we see that Jesus exhorts us for self-reflection, self-examination before trying to uh, fix uh, the sawdust in someone else's eyes, as the text says. And you probably know this text pretty well, right? You probably use that phrase. Hey, take the log out of your eye, buddy. You know, when, when I come to a, a really, really familiar text, a lot of times I like to jump over to Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation because the way he would just word things would just kind of set me in a different seat sometimes. And so I want to read to you the way in which he translated this text for his church. He says in Matthew 7, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures, criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. 
It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe the ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. So Jesus calls us to introspection, to self-examination, not because the answer to all your problems is deep within. It's actually quite the opposite. It's because we ignore our inner self. We ignore our inconsistencies and our sin. And so Jesus is calling you to self-examine, to have some introspection so you can see the real you. And notice he doesn't say never to help your brother with the speck in his own eye, but rather you should start with self-examination first. Ruth Haley Barton says this. She says, self-examination awakens us to the presence of God as he really is. Because we've got a, a made-up image of God in our mind a lot of times. And it also makes us aware of ourselves as we really are. Because we've got a made-up made version of ourselves in our mind a lot of times. Self-examination fosters the kind of humility and openness that allows us to hear the truth about ourselves. And so in his book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, that this, this series is based on, Pete Scazzaro shares a reflection tool. We've got an image of it here that you can work through to really believe. Now, I know when this comes on the screen, I, I can't read any of the words, so I doubt you can either. But we'll send this out, uh, Missional Communities. This is on page two of the discussion guide. But what it is, is there are 12 questions for you to ask yourself as you go through this to be, begin to have an integrated emotional life. We're not going to go through each of those questions uh, one by one, but we'll sh like I said, we'll share this image online. Pete Scazzaro says that the purpose of this ladder is to, to clarify your values by processing your thoughts and your feelings. And then, if necessary in a situation, assert yourself honestly and respectfully to another person about that situation. This ladder of integrity, what, what it does is it slows you down for reflection rather than just living your life in reactivity. This is one way that you can take the log out of your own eye before you address the speck in your brother's eye. Now, I don't know if you can see, but hopefully you can see the first six uh, parts of this ladder are all questions about what's just going on inside of you. You have a situation that's bothering you and you work your way through the ladder to list how you really feel about the situation. Some factual things, some feeling things. Often you find that if you do address the situation after using this ladder, you're able to be more clear, less anxious, more humble than you would have been. When you share from your heart, you may find that your grievances with another person may actually be well-received by that person because you're not coming to them in just emotional reactivity. Oftentimes, as you work through what's going on inside of you and you hit, begin to hit the light blue ones, seven through 10, you'll find what your values are. You'll find that your values are oftentimes based on prior hurts or your family of origin. And that you may find that sometimes these values are just subjective values that talk, tell a part of your own story. They're not objective truths that some person has violated. And you can begin to be more humble and like, oh, okay, I realize that this is a value for me, but it's not a value for everyone. Now, I think it's important for you to hear 
This is a, a famous John Piper quote that could be inserted into literally every single sermon we preach. But he says, no pastor lives up to what he preaches. If he does, his preaching is too low. So I don't have this figured out. This ladder, this tool is even kind of new to me since I moved to Paragold. Jared has shared it with me a few times. Um, but this tool is new to me. I don't have this figured out. Our pastors have not perfected. We've not arrived. We don't have this figured out. We're on the path with you. We're all works in progress. But we want to do this hard work with you. Again, Benner says that few things are more difficult to discern and dismantle than our most cherished illusions. And none of our illusions are harder to identify than those that lie at the heart of our false self. The false self is the air we breathe. We've become so accustomed to its presence that we're no longer aware of it. This ladder is just merely a tool to help us move from a, a disintegrated, lying life to a more fully integrated, honest, humble, true self life. And the, the last few rings of the, the ladder end with hope. Like I have hope in this relationship. I hope we can move to each other. I hope, you know, fill in the blank. But considering how difficult this process is, like where does our real hope lie? And this morning you need to hear that our hope rests in the only one who ever lived a fully integrated life. Of all people who lived, like Jesus had the most expectations placed on him. He had the most situations of intense emotions surrounding him. Like raise your hand if you've ever had people surrounding you ready to stone you or throw you off a cliff or hang you on a cross. That's some intense emotion to get to that point with someone. And yet he also had the greatest resolve to live within his true self. See, at times there was the crowds who wanted to just crown him as a king. The religious leaders just wanted him to shut up. John the Baptist began to doubt him. His hometown rejected him. Peter wanted to step in his way and not let him make his way to the cross. Judas betrayed him because he didn't live up to his expectations. And Jesus even had to say no to some people taunting him while he's on the cross to come down from the cross. When he is the one person who literally had the power to come down from the cross, he could have said yes, and yet he said no. Jesus knew his true self. He knew his calling from God, but, and if he had succumbed to a fear of man, he would not have fulfilled his mission and his purpose from God. If he had lived up to other people's expectations of him, he might have secured some temporal military victory in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and yet that would have had zero power to redeem you from your sinful life. Jesus had the ability to speak hard truths to others in the midst of their anxiety. Jesus had a healthy ability to say no to other people's expectations. He knew himself and he knew his calling from God. This doesn't mean that he became some self-serving, detached person who didn't care about people who just loved saying no all the time. No, he came to serve, not to be served. And caring for himself when he said no or not fulfilling their expectations when he said no, he had the ability to move toward others and show them the compassion of God. He served others and he got away by himself to get rest and then he could serve others again. You do not have to live in codependency with other people. You don't have to live enmeshed with their emotions and anxieties. You don't have to agree with everyone and everyone doesn't have to agree with you. You can live or you can be in a missional community with someone who you disagree with. 
Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? That we love one another. That we're in a missional community with one another, even though we don't see eye to eye on all things. That's the beauty of this community, this gospel community that we're in. We live in a society that is plagued with an inability to disagree with someone and remain in community with them. Living an integrated life means that you show up humbly as yourself, as who you are in Christ. The answer to how to live an integrated life is not isolation, but a healthy relationship. And the first relationship for honesty and integrity to show itself is in Christ, who, let the cat out of the bag, absolutely accepts you just as you are. Scripture tells us that while you were a sinner, he died for you. He can handle your truth. And then we move on into other relationships in our lives. We're made for relationships. So this process cannot take place in isolation. Isolation would be a deeper dive into the fear of man. And so today's call to integrity is a call to trust God and not fear man. Trust him that your honesty will not destroy you, but it will free you. I want to read to you um, a testimony that we were shared, that was shared with Jared this week. We got a, a, a member of our church who moved across the country uh, last year. Martin Mitchell is his name. A uh, great, great member. We hope that one day he moves back. Um, but he, he sent in this amazing message to Jared this week, and I thought it was powerful for this part in our sermon. He says, During my years at the crossing, I heard you and others talk about MCs and DNAs and talking about being vulnerable with those people you're doing life with. I've heard about talking about struggles and sin. And that always scared me. How could I let people know what was really going on? Questions raced through my mind at the thought of this. What would they think? Who would they tell? Would they cut me off? The last few days have been a roller coaster. I was confronted with the price of sin. I finally lost a friend because of how I was living. I always knew that was a possibility, but for years it had never happened until yesterday. Last night I called a trusted friend and believer that I talked to a few times a year. I opened up about the things in life that I've never told a single person. I opened my mouth and words came out. I told things I planned to still keep secret. I confessed those secret sins to someone and felt so much relief. Oh my gosh, why did I wait so long to do that? It's so freeing. If anyone is doubting if they should confess those secret sins to someone or wondering why they should, it's because the truth will set you free. I have felt so much peace since that moment. The hurt of losing my friendship is there, but I see why God had that person in my life for a season. And that loss is what I needed so that I could finally see what I needed to do. Fear, shame, and guilt are the enemy. That's what kept me from confessing these things for years. Sometimes it took a while for us to, takes us a while to apply what we hear and know. I'm so thankful I finally listened and applied that to my life. Ultimately, living the false self-life is a sinful lack of trusting God that, that, that who he made you to be is okay. We project a false self to people who, so that they um, might accept us. We think that by doing this, they're going to finally accept us. We, we project that we're hardworking or that we're creative, that we're fashionable, or that we're humble, that we're smart. You fill in the blank for the ways in which you project a false self to the people around you. We believe that people will only accept us based on what we do or what we have. But the reality is, 
even the acceptance of other people, of those around you, is a fickle, temporal thing that will fade away, even if you get it. I think this is why a Mr. Rogers song uh, recently hit me hard, like it was God's own words to my soul. And particularly, there's an old video. I don't know exactly when it's from, maybe the 70s. But he was on The Tonight Show. And the host that night was Joan Rivers. And she'd interviewed him for a while about his show and all, all that stuff. And she ended by asking if he would sing one song that her daughter really loved. And Rogers proceeded to sing the song. And he, he made eye contact with Rivers the entire time so that she could really believe it. He changed a little bit of the lyrics to take it from being a song to children to a song specifically to her and her false self, though he wouldn't have known that language probably. Here are the lyrics he sang that night. And like I said, imagine this is God singing it to you. He said, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your jokes, they're just beside you. But it's you I like, every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. And as he's saying that song to Joan Rivers, she covered her head with her cardigan because unconditional love has this peculiar effect of causing you to feel shame about yourself. Like, why would someone love me for who I am? Like, I got to do something for you to make you love me. Why would you love me just for who I am? And as I heard those words that were sung so many years ago, I felt like it was God saying to me, it's you I like. Not the false self that you try to project. The real you is who I went to the cross for. It's you I like. It's not your false self that God came to redeem. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your achievements. It's not your clean slate that you're trying to make right now. It's you that he came to save. The real you down deep inside you that nobody else sees and that you might not even be aware of yourself. You see, you can do nothing to earn his love. It flows freely. You can do nothing to earn his salvation. It is offered to you by grace alone through Jesus. Jesus. 